Let me get Romans chapter 8, verse 1 on the screen. We'll dismiss our children shortly in just a moment. I just want to share this with you. Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The, the scripture calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. So if you don't know, actually, my son asked me that we were talking about King James words, and he said, the Bible uses the word brethren a lot. What does that mean? Well, it's in that verse, and it, it's us. It's, it's the brothers in Christ, the family of Christ that God has put together. That's, you're my brethren, even the ladies. You're my, part of my brethren. You're our brothers and sisters. And so if the devil is the accuser of the brethren, well, who's he accusing? He's accusing us, me and you. He, he, he would like to accuse, and uh, to accuse means to tell you that you're wrong or that you've done wrong. So he would like to go around telling you're wrong. You are wrong. What you've done is wrong. What you think is wrong. Even if you think that you're forgiven, you're wrong. Because of what you did in 1989 or whatever. The accuser would say, no, that's wrong. You're wrong because of that. Or, or last week or whenever it is. That's, that's just a part of his nature of who he is, what he does. The one scripture says he walks about, roams about, seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for who, who is susceptible to me here. What can I do? We, I said this last week, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's going to devour. And so he's roaming, looking. Is that one edible? Is that one devourable? Can I take that one and destroy this one? And I'll do so if I can accuse them and make them feel like they're wrong or that what they've done is wrong or Jesus doesn't love them or he didn't forgive them or his blood has not been applied to their life and covered their sins so I can devour them and destroy them. And that's what he wants to do to all of us. No, no exclusions. Any one of us that he could, he would love to just go up to you and destroy who you are, who God's made you, what you know of God, what you've experienced from God. He wants to just take that and destroy it. And another scripture says, take the shield of faith, so with it you can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. All I'm doing is telling you, I, I'm trying to, I feel like I, I don't know, I feel like I'm talking to a bunch of soldiers getting ready to go on the battlefield. 
and I'm just trying to give you a little pep talk or a little bit of instruction because you are going to go on the battlefield. And this battle that you're going to go into has an enemy that shoots fiery darts. And they are aimed at you. Everybody say me. Everybody say me. They're aimed at me. So take with you a shield of faith and put it right in front of you. And on this side and this side. All, all around you so that when the enemy starts to shoot them, that shield will quench them. They won't hit you. If you're here and you feel like the devil has never tried to get you before, I'd like to talk to you afterwards and know what that feels like. But I think most of us, if we've been around a little while at least, we know he's out for me. He wants to take me down. I'm not worried about that. I'm aware of it, but I don't live my life in fear of it. Because the, the scripture, like we're talking about today, instructs us which side to be on and how to act when you're on the right side so you know you'll win. Can we pray, Lord Jesus? I feel your spirit here today, Lord, and I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us for the remission of our sins. I thank you, God for the work that you're doing in each one of these lives here. God, I know that you have a plan and a purpose for each one. You have a will, Lord God, for each one of us. God, I pray that protection, that covering, that shield about each one of us right now, in the name of Jesus, that we may quench the fiery darts of the enemy with a shield of faith, God, I pray it in the name of Jesus. I pray it in the name of Jesus right now. Come on, why don't you stand and just continue to pray. Come on, the Lord's equipping you right now. He's equipping you spiritually, supernaturally for the things we need, for the battles we will face. Lord, I receive it right now. I receive it right now, Jesus. I'm going to walk in it, Lord God. I'm going to walk in your covering. I'm going to walk in your protection. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There is no condemnation. Lord, as we live not after our flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus, I'm not listening to the voice of the enemy. I'm not listening to the voice of the accuser. God, I'm listening to you because you speak truth, Lord. You speak words of life, oh God. You speak words of faith, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll go ahead and dismiss the children to their classes, but don't let them leaving uh just cause you to check out amen but i will let you be seated this morning 
Amen. I feel such a witness already with what's been said. And I'm always thankful when it's confirmation to what, what I'm feeling. And you don't have to raise your hand to this question. You can if you'd like, but I'd be curious how many in here today, and like I said, you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want. <laughs> but how many in here today feel like that you're in, in a battle yeah. right now? Amen. <laughs> if you were willing to raise your hand, I'm, I, I'll raise my hand. And this, this thing that Elder is already speaking about, uh, the Lord has been dealing with me about, we know the Bible says, amen, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And there's some things that that's involved there. It's they're, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and imaginations and high things. And, and you, you don't have to look too deep into that to realize all those things are things that are in the mind. They're things that the enemy is going to plant and build up. A stronghold is literally like a... It's, it can be a place that you would run to, like a stronghold, like a, uh, a fortress. And so the, the power of the Lord wants to come and tear down negative strongholds in our mind that we've allowed to be built up over time from lies and words of the enemy. And involved in that is imaginations, right? What's an imagination? Well, it's something that we, that we think up, that we create in our, our imagination, when you say imagination, you maybe think about dragons or fairies and all those like fictional things kind of fall into the category of imagination. And so these are different tactics that the enemy uses to try to defeat us before we even get into the battle. And the enemy would love to simply just plant thoughts in our mind and defeat us without us ever even raising a finger to try to come against him. Amen. Because the enemy knows, I was thinking of this verse earlier, that even the devils know that there's only one God. And they hear that and they tremble. <laughs> and so I was thinking, man, that's such a, you know, we know that the word of God is, is a sword of the spirit. And I think that's in multiple ways. It's a sword because it cuts us with conviction, cuts surgically to the deep places of our heart. But it's also a, it's also a sword of, of offense as a weapon against the enemy. And we see the Lord in, in the uh, wilderness when he's tempted of the devil using the sword of the word of God to slash at the accusations, the things that the enemy would try to speak to him. The Lord uses the word of God as his sword to combat those things. And he doesn't, he doesn't even give them a second thought. He doesn't entertain them for a moment longer than he needs to. Once they come, he, he tries it in his spirit and responds accordingly. And as Elder's been talking about over the last few weeks, I've just been, this has been stirring in me. You know, so many times the, the way that we try that is with the radio station. And in that moment, our initial response can immediately be, click, turn it off. Amen. And we have that responsibility, I believe, as vessels of the Holy Ghost to keep this temple clean and pure. And so that quick response is, is important and necessary. 
But then there's other cases where maybe it's not through the radio station, maybe it's not through a movie or, or an individual person, but it's just the voices and the thoughts that come into your mind uninvited. You can be just sleeping at night, and whether it's a nightmare or just a thought of, of depression throughout the day, something that seemingly comes just out of the air, and, and it really it does. It's, it's from the spirit of this, the air, the God of this world that would try to, again, as Elder said, he would try to accuse the brethren and, and get us to be defeated before we even step onto the battlefield. Um, and I want to just look at one story here, very familiar, I'm sure, to most of us in 1 Samuel 17. And I'll read a, I'm going to read a few verses here, but I'm going to mostly summarize so that I don't get caught up in the details. <laughs> That's easy for me to do. Um, but this is 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. I mean, probably familiar to us. D uh, Goliath was a giant. And David was a boy. He was a youth. And um, to, just to, again, save some reading time and save getting caught up in the details, um, kind of give you the background here. They, essentially, the Israelites and the Philistines were in battle. They were both on opposite sides, on these hillsides, and there was a valley between them. And for 40 days, you can see in verse 16, for 40 days... Uh, morning and evening, this Philistine, this, this giant Goliath would present himself before the children of Israel. And with this, with this charge, this battle charge to them saying, if you, really, if you want us to be your servants, why don't you just send a man that's, that's man enough to, to fight me? And this guy is like eight, nine, ten feet tall. And it gives kind of the measurements and the weights of some of his, his uh, weapons and his shield. And, and it's, he's huge. And uh, people back in, in those days and even in the Middle East today were not necessarily the tallest people on average. And so uh, he was probably, it's safe to say, at least if not more than twice the size of, of David and maybe even many of the other Israelites and for 40 days, he's, he's walking out onto the battlefield, accusing them and intimidating them, challenging them, saying, come on, where are you at? Come fight me. And we see here this uh, in verse, verse 10. Um, at, this is after he's, he's made this, this charge. And the Philistines said, he said, I defy the armies of Israel. This day, give me a man that we may fight together. And now watch the response of Saul, who was the king at the time. Watch the response of him and, and Israel. Verse 11 says, When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Before the, before the giant, before the enemy even had to lift his sword, or show what he could actually do, just his presence and just his words of intimidation brought fear and dismay to the hearts of all of Israel. And then there in verse 16, we see that this went on for 40 days, 40 days. And that's kind of where that parallel for me came of, of the wilderness of Jesus being tempted. He was tempted 40 days of the devil. And so 
Man, sometimes the battles that we face, that we go through, it's not just a one-night thing. It's not just one bad dream or one negative thought, but it's, it, sometimes it's just this continual, continuous barrage of, of thoughts and negativity and condemnation or depression, and you fill in the blank for yourself, right? The, the fiery darts of the enemy that he uses against you, and they can be, they can be continuous, at times and seem like they're never going to stop, never going to let up. We can feel like we're just all on our own. And of course, the, as the story goes, David steps on the scene. His dad sends him to check on his other sons and bring them some, some food, bring some food to the, to the leaders of the army as well. And um, I'll save some time reading here. Um, but essentially, David walks on the scene and has this righteous indignation rise up in him and just this confusion of, why are you guys letting this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of God? Why are you guys just sitting here and allowing him to accuse you, allowing him to speak against you and intimidate you? And he was just a boy. He was just a youth. And even, even coming onto the scene, his brothers accuse him of showing up just to see the battle. And they, they accuse him of, of, I think the word it uses is it's like naughty. Yeah, naughtiness. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. So they're, they're calling, him, calling David uh, naughty, which is kind of weird. But just for showing up, they, they assumed he just wanted to be there just to see some of the action. But he, he pushed even the, accus the, the accusations of his brethren, his own brethren. He even pushed that accusation aside and said, whatever, <laughs> I'm going to go do what's in my heart. And he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause and is there not a reason that the Lord's brought me here and it being bigger and greater than just bringing some cheese and crackers to my brethren? And verse 32 David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, now watch this. This is David's king. This is, the, this is a man in Israel that it, the Bible says he was a head taller than, than everyone in all of Israel. So Saul, the king, taller than all of Israel, he should have been the one to be on the battlefield fighting that giant. And Saul says, David, you're not able to go. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight, to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. Amen. This isn't youth class, but I would speak to the youth today to not disqualify yourself because of your age. Man, never disqualify yourself because you're but a youth. Because you're but a, a teenager, man, because you're in a secular setting and school and whatever the accusations may be, don't disqualify yourself. So Saul tells him, you're not able to go against this Philistine because you're a youth. And this man of war, he's been a man of war since his youth. So he's got more experience. He's got more expertise. He's, he's bigger, he's better, he's badder. <laughs> he's going to destroy you. You're not able to do it. And even then, David said to Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep. And, and the story goes on, I'll spare reading those verses, but 
As the story goes, he reminds Saul that, you know what, I, I, I've just been a shepherd up to this point, but even on that, even in that shepherd field, even in the, the pasture with the sheep where I felt lonely at times and I felt like maybe the call of God on my life was forgotten and that I was just sort of the forgotten son pushed out there in the field. But even in those times, God was preparing me. He was readying me for this day and this battle through the lion, through the bear, through these little things that came against me and in those times of, of my shepherding, those times of me protecting these, these helpless sheep. And so he felt confident. He knew, okay, you know what? The Philistines are accusing us. My own brethren are accusing me. My king is telling me I'm not qualified. But you know what? God's given me an experience. God's given me a, a purpose and a, a passion in my heart that I believe that with God I can, I can do it. With God all things are possible. Man, and I'm talking about, talking about battles today. This is, of course, in this setting and history, this was a it was a real battle with real swords and shields, and then David comes with the slingshot. But today we still fight battles in the spirit in the exact same way. It's going to be, it's going to be accusations. It's going to be disqualifications. It's going to be things that would constantly just try to get us to not even step out onto the battlefield. You notice all of these things are before the battles even started. It's before... Goliath even proved himself to be a good warrior and it's before David's even shown what he could do and so David's just ignoring it all he's saying just let me get to the battlefield because once I step onto the battlefield with the giant I have a faith I have a confidence that he can't stand up against the power of the word of God and so again summarizing here Saul says okay you know I'll let you do it. He puts his armor on him, and David puts it on, and he's swallowed in it because it's too big for him, and he hasn't tried it. So he says, nope, you know what? I know you want me to do it your way. I know you want me to be protected and, and go out there and with your methods of war, your methods of battle with a sword and a shield. But he said, this is not a battle that's with a sword, with a shield. The Lord's going to fight for me. So he, he goes out there vulnerable, exposed. And he, we know he walks by the brook. He, I, I just kind of imagine him having this moment of silence as he goes out by the brook by himself and just picks up five smooth stones. He picks up some ammunition, <laughs> some things that he's saying, you know what, I have five chances to hit this enemy picks up those things and puts them in his satchel and goes on to the battlefield. And the Philistine came, drew near, verse 41. Philistine came, drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. It's kind of funny to me, this great warrior, this huge guy, he doesn't even carry his own shield <laughs> onto the battlefield. He has this other little guy to walk in front of him with a shield so it's already already kind of not fair and again all these things all these things in in battle and warfare they're all psychological it's all things that psychologically they're trying to defeat you before you even step onto the battlefield saying look at how much bigger i am than than you 
Look at how much more people we have than you. Look how, look how much sharper my sword is than yours. How many, look how many uh, more people I've killed than you, right? Like, look, I have my own shield bearer and all these things that could have David, just like they did with the army of Israel, they could have him defeated before he even steps onto the battlefield. So the Philistine looked, he saw David, with, and he disdained him, for he was but a youth. Again, even the enemy was offended that it was just a youth who was coming to him. And I'm going to skip these verses, but the Philistine then, he again, he throws these derogatory words towards David, calls him a dog, calls him a, um, just these different things, and essentially tells him he's going to just feed his flesh to the birds. And, and then this is what I want to draw our attention to today. I believe that, especially for the youth, the young people, I believe that if we can, if we can get this concept as, as youth, as young people, we can live a life of victory when, when the enemy comes with accusations, when brethren come with accusations. And this is how right here, when, when the enemy speaks to you, talk back. <laughs> as simple as that. Talk back. I, uh, growing up as, as a little kid, the, the two main things that I got in trouble for nonstop was one, playing outside after church, <laughs> whether it was in Puyallup or Wapato or getting grass stains on my church clothes or busting my lip open. It's a long story, but anyway. And the second thing was talking back to my mom. <laughs> my dad every now and then, but mostly my mom <laughs> had a fear of my dad. But man, I got in trouble for talking back to my mom way too much. And I, I, think, it, I, was, I think I was 15 before the lesson finally got beat into my head. <laughs> But the Lord reminded me of that a few days ago and said, you know, that tendency in your flesh that would be used for, right, dishonoring, disrespecting your parents, speaking against authority. He said, even though that's thing you use negatively, he said, it's still a trait and a characteristic that I gave you to be used against the enemy. And so too often, and, and as Elder's been speaking about the radio and different things, different ways that the enemy speaks to us, too often we are just willing to get as close to, close to the fire as possible. And we, have such, we always have such a clear channel of the voice of the enemy, and, and then we go to our prayer closet and we say, God, please speak to me. I need to hear your voice. I can't hear you. But then we go back and we get on Instagram. <laughs> We go back, turn on the radio, turn on music, turn on a movie, and expect God to speak to us when all we're doing is giving a clear channel, a clear avenue of communication to the enemy, and then we're not talking back. <laughs> then we're just allowing him to come with these accusations, allowing him to come with thoughts of, of depression and thoughts of just, you can't do it, you're too young, you're too old, you're, you're too weak, you're too small. You failed too many times. And so then what do we do? Our tendency is we go and we mess up again. It's like, man, I've, already, I've messed up this way so many times before. And instead of going and fighting the battle, I'm just going to go and 
kind of like Saul. I'm going to go and just fall on my, my sword, give up. And I think that's one of the biggest differences in the spirit of Saul and the spirit of David is that David had a fighting spirit that wouldn't give up. And Saul, you, you see a lot of connections to and types and shadows of Saul being compared to the flesh and David to, to the spirit. And I think that, you know, where we read in Romans 8 and 1, where Elder read, talking about no condemnation, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus and who walk after the flesh or who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. So if we're walking after the flesh, then we're going to have condemnation. And so the playing field or the battlefield that the enemy wants to keep us on is in the flesh. Because he knows that if we get in the spirit, if we get past fear, he doesn't stand a chance. He's defeated. And so the enemy wants to defeat us before we can even step onto the battlefield. Because he knows the moment we step on the battlefield, all we have to do is speak the name Jesus. All we have to do is say, there's only one God, devil. <laughs> Go tremble somewhere. <laughs> and I, I was talking to my dad about this last night, and he reminded me of, of some things Brother T.W. Barnes had said, and, and he probably said them in ministry, but he, they're in some of his books. And he was such a proponent of this, of, of talking back to the devil. And we don't, obviously we don't pray to the devil, but man, we, too often we just, we allow him to speak and then we just, we just start internalizing it. We just start letting it work on us and, and tear us down and, and then it becomes an imagination, becomes a stronghold, becomes a high thing because we never dealt with it at the forefront, at the beginning. And so David, when the Philistine speaks to David, David says, I'm going to talk back. David tells the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with the shield and a little guy in front of you carrying it. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Amen. And this day will the Lord deliver you into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And we'll give your carcass and he goes on and tells him what he's going to do to this giant. In the name of the Lord. And of course it happens. <laughs> but what a few elements of this, and, and I'm finishing, but a few elements of this that the Lord's challenged me with is David picks up five stones. And I was kind of asking the Lord, you know, why why do you pick up five stones and only took it only took one shot? And what I felt like that he, he did that for, the reason he did that was just in case he missed. <laughs> he wasn't going to walk out onto the battlefield with just one, uh, one ammunition, one, one bullet in the chamber. He's like, you know, but also what that told me, and of course his weapon, right, was a sling. What that told me as well was he could fight the enemy from as far away as possible. And so he was going to, from as great a distance as possible, fight the enemy instead of getting on the enemy's terms and getting on the enemy's battlefield. He's saying, you know what? Like, I know this thing over here is tempting to me. I know this thing over here. I'd love to go out and try to chop its ankles and <laughs> with the sword. But he decided, you know what? I'm going to have 
five chances, give myself five chances to hit this guy and I'm gonna stay as far away as possible. And so, you know, with the lion, with the bear, there was, there was battles that David fought that came to him and he had a responsibility and a choice to make. Okay, I'm gonna put my life above these sheep and I'm gonna, I have to fight these things because they came to me. But then with Goliath, we realize that he went, he chose that battle. He went there and he chose it. Just a, that was just a side note. But then the last verse here, after David kills Goliath with the first stone, one shot hits him in the forehead, knocks him down. And then he goes and uses his own sword, chop his head off. And it's amazing because as soon as that happens, as soon as the stone hits the giant, as soon as, as soon as he hits the ground, I just imagine there being a moment of silence there as well. And then the Philistines, you know, just in shock and awe, just turning and beginning to flee. Because what's amazing is in that moment that they're, their great warrior and their great uh, ability to, to intimidate their enemy, the moment that that intimidation fell, the, the terms and the odds were completely flipped around. As soon as they removed the element of intimidation, the Philistines knew that they were defeated too. So they weren't even going to stick around to see what happened next. They said, man, our, our big boogeyman fell down, so... They're not scared of us anymore. And so they turn and take off running, and the children of Israel do the same thing, start pursuing them as for, a, for a long ways. They chase them down. And um, then I want to just make mention to the response here of Saul. So verse 58 of the same chapter, after all that has already happened. <laughs> so now Saul and all these great warriors, they're all in shock and awe as well. And Saul turns and, and he said to him, Whose son? Whose son art thou? Thou young man? And David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. What I feel like is interesting here though is once this, once this battle was won, once this victory was won, the first thing Saul thought is, man, whose son is this? And I feel like the significance of that is he realized that this boy, this young man, which is kind of interesting too, he at first is calling him a youth the whole time, and then here he calls him a young man. So I feel like he's already seen him as, <laughs> he's already advanced in maturity in the eyes of Saul in that time. But what I feel like and believe is that Saul recognized, man, this young man is fighting under authority that's not his own. This is not just a young man coming out here with youthful confidence and pride that's saying, man, I can take that giant. But he's coming out in an authority that must be of his father. It must be of the one whom he's the son of. Hey, Amen. I don't know if you're catching what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying this morning. But you and I, as children of God, if we're led by the Spirit of God, and as was talked about Tuesday night, our Father which art in heaven, if we have an understanding of who He is, who we pray to, who that we talk back to the devil in the name of, then we should have a confidence and understanding that if He's the Father, we're His sons. <laughs> that we're joint heirs with Him. 
and he's not going to leave his sons stranded on the battlefield. If we go onto the battlefield in the name of the Lord and say, you know what, devil, I'm tired of you speaking in my ear. I'm tired of having you on my shoulder. I'm flicking you off, <laughs> closing my ear to you in the name of the Lord because I have the authority of, of the Father. Amen. Amen. I'm finished. I wonder if we can just, I'm going to turn this over, but can we just thank the Lord for a moment? I feel victory here today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we have victory in you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. I see a parallel that I don't know that I really ever saw before in that story. The, the 40 days that, that the Israelites had to sit there and listen to that and, and fear and tremble Well, during those 40 days, the Philistines were sitting there thinking, we're all that. We are going to win. We're on the winning side. Nothing can defeat us. We've got big, bad Goliath on our side. And... Like the scripture said, it, it called him a man of war from his youth. So that tells me somewhere along the way he has a history of going and fighting and winning battles. And he knows, they know, as long as we're on Goliath's side, because we've seen him go over here to this town and destroy them. And we've seen him go over here and fight this battle and win and, and destroy them. And we've seen him. And so Goliath was synonymous with victory to the Philistines. And so when they see him fall, they see a lifetime of victory fall and go away. I had this thought I would love to see the guy that, whose job it was to hold the shield for Goliath. He had a front row seat as that rock flies over his head and hits Goliath and knocks him down. And all of a sudden, he's sitting there thinking, why am I holding this shield? And, the, and, the, and they see that. Well, you know what? The scripture says that somewhere in the future, there will be a great dragon thrown into a pit for all of eternity. Right now, and f throughout the past, that great dragon has been known as a man of war, going and fighting a battle here and winning, and going and fighting this battle here and winning, and he's got a legion of angels on his side that are used to seeing him win battles, used to seeing him and to them, he is synonymous with victory because we, we're, our, our wagon is hitched, our trailer's hitched to his wagon. And where he goes, we go, including from out of heaven, 
down into the earth. And everywhere he goes, we go. And this is, you know, you realize that we, we call the Bible, especially the Old Testament, types and shadows. And I think most times when we think of types and shadows, we think of, of redemption or the story of Christ or how we see it in the Old Testament compared to how it is now in the New Testament. Well, I see a type and a shadow of defeat of the enemy in this story. It tells me the enemy can say all at once for as long as it wants. It can go try and intimidate whoever it wants for as long as it wants. And yes, sadly, it will win some battles. It has won some battles. But the whole book from Genesis to Revelation is just one story. And honestly, if you look at it this way, it's the, the, it's the story of the defeat of the enemy. And I think, oh, I, I really need to know about those 70 years of my life in that story. Because I'm concerned about the Caleb chapter. I need to know how that one's going to start and how it's going to go and, and the end of it. And I really don't, you know, I'm not worried about what happened before that or after that. I, where do I find myself in here and find my story in here? Well, if I know that in my story, in my 30, 40, 50 year story of my life, I, I've spent that 50 years fighting against an enemy. And at the end of my 50 or 70 or 100 years, I either won or I either lost the battle. That, that could either be a, a tragic story or a, a wonderful, glorious story, but it's just one tiny little piece of everything that we see happen in the, in the overall story. The beautiful thing is, I'm here and in, the, in my 36th year of my story, I already know that the enemy that I'm fighting against He's going to lose. He's going to lose. So, where does that put me? Fighting a losing battle for the next 20 years? I, we give him too much credit. We give him way too much influence. We give him way too much time and, 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 and weight in things. Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. These things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's just your, while, during your 30, 40, 50 year story of while you're here. Yes, there will be tribulation. 
why don't we just solidify that fact right now? If it's in the Bible and it says so, to me, I'll claim that as a word of God. If it's there in the world, I will see tribulation. No, no, we don't want that. We want smooth sailing. We want, because, oh, hear me, because we want the Christian story to be synonymous with victory and smooth sailing and no tribulation, no pain. Why? In, in this world, we know it's not going to get as good as we want it to. Jesus said it, it's recorded multiple times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Gospels. But he said, if any man will lose his life for my sake, he will find it. I think it's Matthew 10 is the first one, and it actually says, whosoever findeth his life will lose it. Whosoever finds his life. So I'm going I'm to go around and look around for what's going to be my best life. Is that right? I'm hoping, I'm hoping, Lord, one day you're going to send a messenger that's going to tell me, here's how you can be the best you. Because that's what I need to find. Because I need to find, I'm just going to say it. There was a book about 15 years ago written by a very popular preacher called Your Best Life Now. If you have it, bring it to me. I'll get rid of it for you. If you ha don't have it, don't even go look for it. Because whosoever findeth his life shall lose it. Oh, I read through this book. And at the end of the book, you know, I, fig I found out how to have my best life. How I can make friends. How I can make money. How I can... Oh, we'll wrap that one up in a lie. The more money I get, the more I can bless the kingdom of God. God doesn't need that. Oh, it's going to tell me how to be popular. It's going to tell me how to make people happy. How to end every conversation with a smile. Because I, just got, I can have my best life this way sure if you want to if that's your goal and your pursuit right now in this life with whatever few years the lord's given us 70 might sound like a lot but if you put it in the context of genesis to revelation it sounds like a, a tiny little bit but no i need i need to make sure my 70 years count for as much as possible, and I can leave having lived a great life. Jesus told us this very specifically.
Whosoever finds his life will lose it. So you get it. Get the best life you want. Go ahead. You can have it. Rich, uh, wealth, fame, fortune. You can have all of those things. Sure, there you are. Your wish is granted. But you know what? It's coming right back to me. We heard it in another message where he says, Thou fool, this night shall your soul be required of you. So way to go, buddy. You lived your best life. You acquired so much stuff, so much that you couldn't even house it all. And you had to build bigger barns. You had to build bigger houses, bigger garages to fit all those cars. Way to go. You did it. You achieved it. Now your life is over. And you lost it. It is destroyed. Because that's what it means. Because on the other side of it says, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake or for the sake of the kingdom, whosoever shall lose his life shall find it. And I had to look that up. What does it mean to lose your life? And it literally means to destroy. To destroy your life. The, the good news is those of us that would come in here and say, my life is a wreck. Awesome. You're halfway there already. It's going to get a lot easier to destroy a life that's already a mess. The Lord wants you to destroy that life, that pursuit, that goal, that hope, that dream. For his sake. And then as soon as you do, he says, awesome, great, here's your life. Who will lose his life will find it. Why don't we stand? I'm coming to a close here. I feel the spirit of the Lord here. If you're under the age of 25, I'm going to call you a young person. Now, I won't mess with you folks over 25. I won't call you anything. If you're under 25, would you come and stand in the front here for a minute? I'd like to talk to you. You know, maybe if you would feel better about it, why don't you sit right there? Come on up here and sit right here in these front two rows. But fill the seats. Fill them up here. The rest of you can be seated. I felt the key word earlier. It was the word intimidation. Any, anybody ever felt you know you were intimidated? All right, we got a little cooperation here. <laughs> Every young person has 
felt intimidation a time or two. There were two times that come to my remembrance as I was hearing this this morning. It was good ministry. I moved to a school in North Hanover, New Jersey. And it was during my junior year of high school. And I had done a lot of farm work. And I know it doesn't look like it now. But the back of my arms were really built up. And so when I would go to gym class, they would ask us to climb the ropes upside down. Man, that was a breeze for me. Tap the ceiling with my feet, and then I'd come back down. Now, I was new. Well, there was a couple of guys kind of eyeing me. guy by the name of Nate Free. One morning when I got off the bus at the school, he was standing there. He said, I'm going to give you your chance. Excuse me? I'm going to give you your chance. For what? And he walked off. And inside, my nerves are starting to rattle. Because all I see on the inside is this little boy that was always the smallest person in the school, or next to the smallest person, okay? I don't know what he sees. Maybe he sees me climbing the ropes to the top of the ceiling. But what he was saying was, is I'm going to give you your chance to prove yourself when you get off the bus on Monday morning. Well... I got wisdom from somewhere that morning when I got off the bus and communicated to him. I didn't get off the bus with aggression or ready for a fight because I was a runner. I didn't look for fights. I'd run. And I didn't run, but I convinced Nate Free we didn't have to do this. Okay. Now, I'm going to go back just a little bit. Okay. Now, I looked around the room earlier, and I felt some things, okay, on some young people. Most of my school years were back in New Jersey, and I had developed a friend. I'm not sure why. But Woody Marcue and I would hang out together. Now, now Woody, he was built like a brick house. Short, stocky, but nothing but muscle. He was kind of loud. He was kind of lived outside. He was kind of wild. And I, he was very intimidating. And I'd hang out with him. And we were friends. And... You know, we, we were involved in a little bit of music, singing some bands together. We liked the same screaming style music. 
And Woody was really comfortable around me. And one day walking into the gym, or coming in from gym class, we were going to the lockers. And Woody would lose control every once in a while. Later I realized his home life wasn't that good. And he was just trying to survive. But Woody came in and he was all amped up and coming over to the lockers. And he started judo chopping. He kicked me and hit me and slapped me and I went down over the bench, head against the lockers. Now, there was, a, there was a guy that moved in from another city. Big tall guy, his name was Tom, Tom Bohm. And Tom was from the Bronx, New York. And that day, that Woody uh, knocked me down over the seat and hurt me. And again, I was always intimidated by his physique. And Tom Bohm come around the corner of the lockers when I hit the floor. Tom was more of a soft-spoken guy, but he was from the Bronx. And when he came around the corner and saw me hit the ground, he and I had become friends. He came over and grabbed Woody Marchu and he shoved him in the locker and said, don't you ever do that to my friend again. Now, there's been times in my life that I've been very intimidated. But I've got a friend. I got a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I'm telling you right now, there's no reason to continue living your life intimidated, especially when you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Greater is he that's in me. Than he that is in the world. Now, I don't know what your circumstances are in life, okay, that keep things boxed up on the inside. But I'd like for us to pray for you. Can we do that? I'm, I'm speaking to this group right here. Can we pray for you? Concerning this situation. This scenario, this intimidation that comes over us, that clouds us, that, that other people even being around or opening their mouth, it puts this suppression on us. You were made to be a victor in Him. Now, let's assemble that line right back up here. Just stand right there. You're doing good. A straight one. I'm going to call for the elders. <laughs> 